Jamie. Hey, hey. Welcome in. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming all the way out here, spending a half day with us. We're really excited to have you. And I'm uh, a little starstruck, and I'll introduce you as best I can, Okay. certainly professionally, but Jamie Johnson, three-time Grammy Award nominee, bluegrass musician, um, who has been pretty open with his recovery and recovery journey over the past few years. So it's exciting that you would come and just talk to us about that and and uh, share with us some of the insight related to your story. Yeah, it definitely feels a whole lot better pulling into Cumberland Heights these days because I know that I'm pulling back out when I'm ready to yeah, go. <laughs> absolutely. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. This was the first anything I ever had to do with any part of my recovery. Really? This was my first part. No kidding, your here. first introduction. Yeah, 12, uh, 12, 18 of 10 years ago. So Okay. Uh, so had you been to a meeting? Did you know any had, of the culture? I, well, some judges made me go to mm -hmm. meetings, but I certainly didn't. That's just because I got unfortunate, you know, DUIs. Yeah. Um, but I never went there and said I'm an alcoholic or anything like that. Right. So uh, right. when I came here, I actually toured the facility uh, about a month before. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. No kidding. Uh, and the guy that toured me through here is my sponsor now. No kidding. And has been from day one. So he's been in the good days and the bad days, but... Uh, he toured me through the facility, and then the, the next month um, on a Sunday, my wife said, you need to go. And the next morning I was here, checked myself in, and um, uh, I was at the time 40 years old. I traveled the world playing music, and as you mentioned, the Grammys, I'd just literally been to the Grammys that year, and I came in here backpedaling. I did not, I did mm. not belong here. Mm. Um, I just had some bad luck, mm -hmm. and... Uh, mm -hmm. Well, when I finally got sober, I would have raced you in here. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, it wasn't my time at that time, but it was. It was part of my journey because I'm still friends with a lot of the cabin mates mm -hmm. right here behind us. That's where right. I slept That's every right. Night. Absolutely. Give us a sense. Of, so there's there's some folks that listen to this show that don't know anything about recovery and certainly know very little about the process of treatment. So. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about what it's like to show up to a treatment center and maybe what those first few days are like and what you got out of it. Um, I think my best explanation for this um, is the same feeling I had the first time mom dropped me off to kindergarten. The fear. Yeah. Of her walking back out. And when I turned around, she wasn't there to hold my hand anymore. I was on my own amongst a bunch of strangers uh, that I didn't trust. Um and, uh, but if, if I could let somebody look through my eyes of once I got here and got settled in and got to meet the people that were exactly like me, maybe a different pair of shoes, but their stories were extremely similar. Mm -hmm. My, my stories all of a sudden weren't so, mm -hmm. uh, unique. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody usually topped my story. Um, mm -hmm. well, every time, not usually. And, um, if I could give them the comfort of knowing that this is the best decision you ever made. Mm. Um, you're going to be just fine. The 30 days are going to seem like forever for about the first week, and then all of a sudden it, it goes by. And when you're singing out, we always would sing each other out. Mm -hmm. Best feeling ever, and I was so glad that I did it. Um, and uh, you're, this is not failure. You're mm -hmm. one of the lucky ones who made it here. Um, the world's going to keep on spending without you a whole lot more, a whole lot smoother. <laughs> For the next 30 days or 60, mm -hmm. whatever it is you're, you're staying for. And um, I would say welcome 
to a better you and a better better life. If mm-hmm. this is what you want, mm-hmm. you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of this idea or presentation. You know, getting clean and sober is never convenient. <laughs> Ever. You're all of a sudden busy. Oh, uh, I really? Gotta do, I, wait a minute. I got I got to go to work. Well, heck, you haven't been there for you haven't been there for a month. Right <laughs> now, all of a sudden, right. you got to be to work. So yeah, right. And like you said, there's a lot of <clears throat> naturally a lot of content prior investigation. I too was a former patient here. All right, 13 years ago, and um, I remember that feeling of getting dropped off and literally, you know, being in medical and getting assigned a buddy, which I think is a common experience for any treatment center, agnostic mm-hmm. of where you where you end up going and. Just feeling, what have I gotten myself into now? Yeah. You know, and like you said, it's really interesting meeting people with different pairs of shoes, different experiences, and recognizing we're a whole lot more connected than I otherwise assumed. And how powerful of a mechanism that can be to start to be okay. Yeah. With who we are. Yeah. And what um, we've done. The, the prayers in the morning. You know, yeah. we had a unique group. There was one guy who had been a counselor. No and kidding. Knew yeah. the book inside now mm-hmm. and had relapsed after like twelve years, mm-hmm. and he came in and great big old presence of a, of a man too. And we all just kind of gotten before we'd even go meditate in the morning. We would be the early risers would get up and go in there and read out of the book. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was a, it was a humbling experience as well because you know I tried to I was still very much into my ego, um, and I used that as a tool to fit in mm. um, to tell them what everything I'd done. Mm. Um, I, I had to tell you before you left, and we'd had to get to it sometime or another. We're going to get to it. So um, it was the one place where they did not give a sheet right, uh, of anything that I had done that we were trying to save our lives, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So it was a great What a cool spiritual experience. lesson, you know? Absolutely. And in, in a way you wouldn't expect, right, of uh, when you're here, you're equal. We sit in a, in a circle for a reason. We identify by first name for a reason, and there's a spiritual principle within that, not a humiliation but a humility. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I rewind with you? Yes, sir. So tell us where you're from and how your career got started and anything you'd like to share about any insight you might have about maybe where addiction uh, began or or, or certainly began to take root would be interesting to hear about. Okay. Um, well, I was born in 1972. As my son says, I'm from the 1900s. Right. Uh, I was born in southern Indiana, a little town called Milan. Um, if you've ever seen the basketball movie Hoosiers, that's my hometown. Okay. So I'm a right huge, on. huge uh, basketball fan. Yeah. Um, uh, however, I did a lot of what we're doing right here in basketball season, uh, I got in the last minute of the game, and it wasn't to win, you know. Uh, right. I always had a real clean uniform. Yeah, My yeah, shoes were brand new all right, year. Right, right, uh, But I loved the sport. Uh, yeah. I was a, I'm a great fan. Um, and uh, But that's about all you had to do there. A lot of cornfields. Uh, I don't really ever remember doing anything. The worst I ever did was my neighbor, Ruby Burns. We stole her cigarettes, and we'd smoke them. Um, and like Mr. Clinton, I never inhaled. I, I didn't know how to. I'd choke. <laughs> Right, um, gotcha. I still can't uh, smoke a That's cigarette a deep properly. Right there. Yeah. yeah, right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, other than throwing rocks at the train when it go by and yeah. uh, things like that, I, I really was a pretty good kid. I was the youngest of four kids. and Okay. But I, um, my older sister, Joyce, uh, All-State athlete, and Lee, my older brother, All-State football, my brother Brad, All-State wrestler, and then me, um, most improved my senior year. <laughs> 
wasn't the one I was going for, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I think that was one of my big insecurities. I was small. Hmm. Um, and uh, Did you know it then? Yes. That you, no, no, that you oh. were insecure about it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, maybe I didn't. But, I mean, I knew that I was short. Oh, for sure. I, I wanted to be taller. Right. And I knew I wanted to be on the basketball court, but I just wasn't quite quick enough or could right. shoot very good. Yeah. Um, and I knew that my family was good. Right. So I knew that. So just really natural yep. comparison point. Yeah, yep. and uh, there was a different outlook for mom and dad to come. I mean, I don't think mom, but dad for sure when he came come to my games, n- maybe not expecting as much from James as the other three. Mm. So I had that. So I, I think I developed a story where I was a very good storyteller um, so mm. I could fit in. Mm. Um, my senior year, I got voted in the yearbook best storyteller. So, you know, I was full of crap a long time ago. Which is Correlated with what you said about your treatment experience too, right? Absolutely, as a tool to connect with people. It's interesting. So, um, you know, made for a good sales career too, Um, right? And I I got picked to be the guy on stage to do all the talking. Like, let him fill it up. He's got plenty to say, obviously. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and look back now, wish maybe I wasn't that way. And I think this program Mm -hmm. has helped me grow in that sense, big time. wasn't Wasn't even something I was looking for was to check my ego and check my storytelling and realize, does it have to be said now? Uh, mm-hmm. Does it have to be said by me? Um, mm-hmm. Those type things. And mm-hmm. um, that's helped a lot. Um, maybe. Do I need to share in every meeting? Yeah. Right. Even where I come in here with an interview with you and I'm hesitant to say some things, you know. Sure. So, but I grew up uh, in that little town of Milan and my family was bluegrass music lovers. And I mentioned my brother Brad, who was a year and 11 months older than me. Um, I graduated in 1990 and went to college um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, Brad was a huge bluegrass music fan. I'm talking 15 years old, record player, got the Osborne Brothers at Sing Rocky Top mm-hmm. uh, f- with a cup of coffee and his fruit of the looms <laughs> down there at our floor mount record player. It kind of looks like that table over there. Yeah. And um, he would be listening to these Osborne Brothers, and I was like, oh, my gosh, shoot me now. Um I was into Michael Jackson and the Beatles and the Eagles and Prince and Def Leppard and Aerosmith. And I wasn't into the Osborne brothers, but uh, March 18th of 1991 um, in college, I was working and Brad had just got home from the Air Force, honorably discharged for alcohol. Hmm. And still not one of our family members knew or thought anything different. Thought he had some bad luck. Sure. Um, But March 18th, life changed forever. Um, uh, My... um, Supervisor came and got me at UPS. I was working and um, called me to the office to call home. And when I called home, my aunt uh, Geraldine um, told me that Brad had passed away. Mm. He had been intoxicated and playing uh, Russian roulette mm. with his buddies, and uh, he shot himself. I'm sorry. And, uh, I'm so that, sorry. That's yeah. awful. That's tragic. Yeah, that was big. Um, this was shortly after he was honorably discharged. Yes, within within thirty days, mm. um, he hadn't been home very long at all. Mm. Um, I did get to see him that day. We watched uh, Days of Thunder together on VHS. No kidding. And uh, I drove back to Louisville, and um, he could fix any car, he could weld anything, he could he could do everything cool, and he was a good athlete. So everybody loved Brad. Right. And uh, so it was a big shock for everybody in our town when that happened. Mm. A small town like that. Um, and uh, that definitely affected my whole family, absolutely, uh, tremendously. And and I'll never ever blame any of that on why I drank. Sure. Um, I grew up drinking. Dad would go to the Legion. All them guys seemed to have a good time. 
Um, I watched Cheers. Those guys, like, they got this thing down, man. Right. I want to be that yeah. guy. Uh, I want to be Norm, you know? Right, right, right. Have of a course. few drinks and roll to Everybody the house. somebody, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that's what I associated with. Mm-hmm. I had zero intention of becoming an alcoholic. <laughs> right. Uh, as none of us do. Exactly. Um, we're the only ones who can help each other mm. uh, get through this. Um, there's some amazing special degrees out there that help us with mental issues and other issues that get us to the out being an alcoholic. But I'm, I'm far as saying getting out of the fire that we're in, we are the firemen. We're the fire chiefs that, that we walk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's how you make it out of here. Um, it's all a vessel from, from a higher power, but, uh, it's a special phenomenon just yeah. to highlight a little bit more before, you know, like, that there are these meetings that take place in the tens of thousands all across the country where no one's in charge. Yeah. There's no hierarchy. The highest level you can get to is something called a trusted servant. And you can usually spot them outside of a church around seven or eight where much people are smoking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and everybody's there to help themselves and help somebody who just showed up. And it's pretty bizarre to think about that culturally in terms of the exchange of what you're looking for and what you're getting and, and, and where we are such an instant gratification. What are you doing for me lately? Um, that's been my experience mm-hmm. in our culture. And so to have these resources available everywhere that speak all sorts of languages, defend your right to believe in whatever it is you want to believe in, um, and access life-saving program that we call recovery is, is a, is a modern phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know. It's not a late night infomercial. No, it is not. You're not going to have to pay it at the end. Like, all right, now we got. That's you. a great point. Yeah, because I think a lot of people think you know they like, think there's something behind it, mm-hmm. some sort of scheme. Something uh, weird's happening here. Somebody's going to bust out some robes. Yeah. You know, I see that on to... faces newcomers now when they first come in mm-hmm. when they mention a sponsor. They, they go, "Oh, I am broke." Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick the guy who drove you the Mercedes the in here. <laughs> He's good. I'm going to let you sponsor me. You see the basket start floating around, and you're thinking, oh, I yeah. see now. Somebody's, yeah. this is uh-huh. going somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, again, if I could have somebody see through my my glasses now, um, I'm 51, and my font is as big as it'll go on my phone, <laughs> but I've never seen better in my life. Mm. Um, it's like them when they first came out with them 3D pictures or whatever, and you look forever, and then all of a sudden you saw it. You can literally see that person who's looking into that picture's face smile when they see the ship and everything in them. What were they, 3D, 5D, whatever, Mm -hmm. the pictures were? A little, yeah. And it looked like nothing at first, and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you see this whole beautiful thing in it. That, to me, is what recovery is. Um, uh, When you quit looking, every time they'd say, relax your eyes and just look and relax in it. And every time I did that, I seen the boat and that thing. And mm-hmm. um, right when you quit looking so hard, and you just accept um, it's going to be just as far out of here as it was in here. Um, my most important action word right now I can associate myself with is patience. Mm. And, uh, and let that just be um, and believe. Um, I've got a new sponsee right now who came through here. And uh, he's having a hard time with his higher power. Mm. And we all know why, because we've been through it. Mm. Um, because you're not getting everything you want right now. 100%, man. The one thing that can get you what you want right now is a relapse. 
I can instantly get that same old feeling mm. now. Mm. Uh, the other is going to take some time and effort and then let him be in the results business, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but th- that, I just tried, I said, do you believe that I believe? Yep, there you he go. asked me to sponsor you for some reason. And he says, I absolutely 100% believe that you believe us. That's all I can ask you to do right now. Yeah. Um, I love this program. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you, you were, you're reminding me of just in um, a common story, my own story, um, you know, connections that I've made in my own recovery is just uh, always wanting to be places that we're not. You know, like when I was 13, I wanted to be 15. When I was 15, I wanted to be 18. 25, whatever. I'm 34 now. I want, maybe, maybe, maybe it'd be nice to be 25 again, whatever it is. But it's this, it's this, uh, desire to be in control, you know, um, to be in charge and recovery. My experience has been that recovery just, it's groundhog day in some ways, just continually gives me opportunities and reminds me of you're not in control, surrender the outcome and move your feet. And it doesn't really matter what you think about it, Nick my favorite thing about recovery recovery doesn't care about what you think about it, it just cares about what you do so yeah. do you believe that i believe yeah well shoot jamie now that you ask yeah yeah i do and so i'll show up tomorrow okay yeah that's all you need to worry about that's right you know the 90 90 thing you know because i work a lot of treatment centers i get mm. to go share my story we write a song together um and uh even through that right there um they, they a lot of times that question comes up ninety and ninety is like listen interesting go today right today's the day you got right string as many as you can together and man hold on to that chair like it is your lifeline yeah um, that chair is you're going to get so much through that chair if you hang on to it and believe um, and be patient that way above and beyond just getting sober right um, everything's going to come back to you. So you mentioned, I want to hear more about um, your work in treatment centers and, and um, being there for patients who might be fans of music, might be musicians themselves. Um, before we do, you mentioned your brother Brad and listen to the Osmer Brothers. When did you yourself become a musician? Right then. When really? he passed away, I grabbed all of his records and started listening to the music to remind me of him. And then the next thing no you kidding. know, I'm singing every one of their songs. I've got a high voice. My college roommate's saying, you sound like that guy singing Rocky Top, and we hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but my family's like, my dad was like, I found my boy. He's not an athlete, but he can sing. No kidding. And dad loved bluegrass. So he's like, that's that's my little boy. Um, that gives, that, that's, and that's I, wild. Yeah, and of all things, I've uh, four times on the Grand Ole Opry, got to fill in in the band of the Osborne brothers and be that voice because Bobby had laryngitis. Now, he might have called four other guys before me, but I did get the call. Right. And I've got the pictures and video of me singing Rocky Top with the Osborne brothers. Also, halftime at the University of Kentucky game, I sang the song, their state song called Kentucky with Bobby Osborne, and they introduced us in front of that crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Osborne and the Graskels. And uh, that- I started singing immediately. Got me a mandolin, figured out pretty quick, I don't need a mandolin, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> um, I got a guitar. I was 20 years old. Um, I was going to be an electrical engineer. I got a, I stayed on the dean's list in college, had a really good job, and I had no interest in being in a light blue shirt with a name tag and dark blue pants and a hard hat and 
working in a steel mill. Right. Um, I had my mandolin in there every night and drove my coworkers crazy, and I chased my dream. I, I remember leaving home and telling Mom, we didn't grow up rich by any means. We didn't know any difference because it was an awesome life, but um, I'll, I'll be sending you some money home, Mom. I'm going to get you some things. And mm. and I've been able to do some okay, cool things for her, but most of the checks I sent her were always IOUs. I had to pay her back um, because I, I, I partied when I got here. Um, but... Um, the music came, and I came down here in just January the 6th of 1998. I moved to Nashville and never looked back. Um, roomed, roomed with Terry, my roommate, who was uh, in the Osborne Brothers Band. So he took me down to the Station Inn. Um, I got to sing every Tuesday night as a guest spot. He let me up, and he didn't have to do that. Right. He let me up, and he let this other guy who, who blew past all of his dirks we sat at the same table. We got up, and I thought I smoked dirks, by the way. <laughs> um, he got the paycheck in the career. But mm-hmm. um, we all, every one of us, I mean, we, I met some amazingly famous people, Joe Nichols, um, Blake. Uh, they were just our friends. We were all broke together. And uh, and then the career came with the Graskels. Uh, I was trying to get a country music deal, and that didn't 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 get signed. Um but we started the group, the Graskels. Um, our fiddle player played with Garth, um, Jimmy Manley, and and uh, Garth retired. So this is all about 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, late 2003, Jimmy walked into the station and saw Terry and I singing together and said, hey, man, you guys want to start a band? Terry and Jimmy had played in the uh, Dolly Parton's band together. Mm-hmm. So next thing you know, we're cutting an album, um, called ourselves the Graskels. Um, just try to think of something little rascals. We try to tie something in with Andy <laughs> Griffith or anything like that yeah. to be cool and different. And and then we played grass, so we put rascals with a G in front. And okay, there it was. And uh, Dolly heard our stuff and hired us as her band and went on the road with her to from the station in about three times the size of this room to arenas around the country. So you can imagine for a kid who worked so hard to get a most improved and hundred ten percent award. Um, to mm-hmm. get these type of successes because those stages were my basketball court. Mm-hmm. I was Michael Jordan all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and everybody back home knew my name. Mm. And uh, all that energy that I was focusing on just to get on the court mm-hmm. all of a sudden went to most valuable player, and my ego got blown way out of proportion. That's what I was going to ask. Is it, if it Was it fuel? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of what I did. I Holy really man. am. It's a lot of luck. I was in a band. It wasn't like Dolly hired Jamie and the Graskels. She hired the Graskels. Absolutely. And but nobody back home knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be sitting in the Legion, like, of course she liked me better than them. Right. Sure. Um, lying through my teeth just to yeah. make my story even cooler than what it. And it was pretty cool just to left leave it alone. Say it was a pretty awesome gift that God gave me here um, to fall into the, the band of Dolly Parton and have these amazing legends coming to your show because they want to see her. It was just a cool ride. Um, and uh, then the, she let the Graskels go in 2005 or six, um, And uh, not because she was going to change her direction. She knew we wanted to be a band. And right out of the gate, we were nominated for two Grammys in a row. And then about six years later, the third one came. And 
Um, we became Entertainer of the Year of All Bluegrass. I mean, we, we literally beat Allison Krauss and Ricky Skaggs one year, and that, come on, who wouldn't get an ego with that? Right, know. sure, uh, sure, uh, sure. In reality, that would never happen. I mean, who's going to... Who's going to go to whose show? We were smart enough to figure that out, but yeah, yeah. The the bluegrass folks thought a little bit of us. We got to start playing the Grand Ole Opry. We were on there. Uh, I've been on there two hundred eleven times in the just 20 a few. Years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty that awesome, speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah, there's there's value there. I it's mean, some don't... really really amazing cool things that we accomplished, and um, uh, I grew a lot. And met some of the most amazing people, recorded with some of the most famous people. And um, in the end, I can 150% say that this recovery right here of mine is my biggest um, thing that I'm proud of, an achievement ever. I've got a necklace on right now that my boy got me for Father's Day this year um, that I may never have gotten. Right, 100%. So. Well, it's it's... What's interesting about your story is you've had two careers in your ability to touch people's lives, mm -hmm. right? You've got the recovery one, which makes sense to us in terms of showing up and being involved. And I respect that a lot about anybody, um, being able to be consistent, you know, and sit in the front row, uh, take notes, ask for help, show up early, stay late. Like that's, that's what it's about, especially after you've done that for a few days in a row. And, but the other one is, touching people's lives 211 times at the Grand Ole Opry and beyond all across this country and all across the world. That is special. And um, I'm curious how you would dis how you would uh, describe your experience with drinking through that journey. Were, were you drinking? Uh, during the music? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we were trying to bring George Jones legends back, you know, by not showing up to the show and mm. parking in the – Walmart parking lot I would I, the one time we got back and I was parked in the driving lane I wasn't even in the parking spot I was on the wrong side of that little island right I just laughed it off I was like guys I didn't even get a ticket right right um and that whole show we went to Georgia two shows in Georgia and one in Florida and I never got out of the bus one time to sing one note mm. they wouldn't let me out they mm. left the bus driver on there with me so he got no sleep because he had to watch and babysit me mm um, so yeah, unfortunately, um, so from 1998 all the way through 2006, no, 98 to about 2000, uh, I don't, I don't feel like I drank in excess until probably 2008 or nine mm. before that. Um, I could take it or leave it. Sure. I might have a drink every night before the show, but never went past that. Right. Never slurring. Right. Right. And I might drink after and I might not. Um, I think having our son Cole, um, the financial responsibility, we were on the top of the game and then all of a sudden started to, everything must come back down. Right. I mean, you got legends out there that stay, um, most careers peak and on our way back down, just trying to get back. Once you've been to the Grammy Awards, you want to win. Um, it, it gets in your bloodstream. You want to go back and, uh, two nominations, the first two albums, you think they're all going to be nominated. Yeah, and, a lot and, of pressure. And, and there's yeah. four in there with no nominations, so you think. So that pressure's on there. Um, I, I was a bluegrass star, so therefore I worked a day job when I got home so I could have health insurance and 401K. We lived in a beautiful home. So people would come down and visit me and thought my music bought all that stuff. Right. 
I came off the bus on Monday morning and changed my clothes and rolled into work. So I had a lot on my plate. So it kept me, I think, from being mm-hmm. getting too tied down to the bottle because mm-hmm. um, I had to have the money. Mm-hmm. I had to. Right. Um, until I didn't, until things started, as we all know, I can't explain exactly where it all went. I just know that all of a sudden I was taking some nips in the morning to get through the day, mm-hmm. and then I would go jog to sweat it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had a plan. Mm-hmm. Of course, we always um, do. Yeah. I had, uh, I could tell you right now, you could name a city probably, and I could tell you right where the liquor stores were, and if we're at the hotel, if I was very skinny at the time. I mean, if it uh, if the liquor store was three miles away from the bus, I'm going to be running six miles that day. Yeah. Because I am going. Right. Then I got smart and started carrying my bike underneath. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, however far that liquor store was, I'm going. We're That's a clever bunch. Yeah, so it crept in and it just grew like a lot of people. Stress, um, ego, fear, um, everything under the, you know, the lies that were coming with it, the excuses. Yeah. Uh, the alcohol seemed, in my mind, I thought it was numbing all of that. Um, so what was the event uh, the season that brought you into recovery? Um, my wife, Susie Q is not, um, never was a complainer. Um, so she's one of them silent ones. So those, those are, I'd rather have somebody complain and give me a fair warning. Like I'm going to leave you. <laughs> um, Susie Q wasn't that way. She tried to be patient and let me work things out and thinking I love my son enough to stop putting vodka in my water bottle and driving him to school, to, to programs, to daycare, um, all the way to Indiana to see my parents with it. My, you know, I, yeah. Um, she finally just mentioned that you're drinking too much, and I got a DUI. cost the family a lot of money, um, but I was able at the time with the two jobs and buy my way out of it. Mm-hmm. So I was in the clear. I was good with that. Got out of another one. Mm-hmm. She finally just said something. And and the getting drunk and then having to go play a show, um, I would go to see my doctor. And uh, kudos to my doctor. Um, he was younger than I was. And I kept going there to get, I guess it was value. It was something to make me stop shaking and so I could sing that weekend. And he finally said, all right, all right, how much are you drinking? Um, he said, listen, I don't think I'm helping you anymore. I've got a friend I'd like to introduce you to who goes to this program, a recovery program, and and uh, that was my first real introduction. I said, yeah, the judges made me go to that. He said, yeah, well, I'm not a judge, and I'm not judging you. Mm. I just care about you. You're a really good guy, and I, I know that good guy. And he said, you, you seem to be de- declining on me here. And so uh, awesome the way he did it, and I've stayed in contact with him, so he gets to follow my recovery journey too. And uh, – that's kind of where it crept in, and it, it never went away, I can tell you that. Mm. I, I could go for two weeks and say, I told you I was an alcoholic. Right. So, But tonight, <laughs> I'm going to drink, and then that turned into another two-month go-around. So mm-hmm. it just continued to get worse. Mm-hmm. But the people around you, sounds like they were accountable and stuck to their guns, which can be a powerful – I mean, a lot. that's a lot of our stories. You know, a lot of the folks that walk into a meeting for the first time usually aren't um, – begging to show up mm-hmm. you know they're usually there because they've been encouraged to by law enforcement 
or their local municipality or their family or their kids or what have you. And it's a, it can be a great resource of motivation in the early stages before you stop running to recovery, stop running away from uh, addiction and start running towards recovery rather, you know, and it sounds like that's a little bit of your story, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then coming here was your first treatment experience. Twelve seventeen, she asked me to come here and uh, we had already toured around. Of course. Around uh, Thanksgiving and I remember leaving and saying, I just scared the hell out of, it, out of me. I won't, I'll. I'm done. I won't. And I was drunk that night. Um, but she came into the bedroom and she'd come home and uh, from being out shopping for Christmas and Cole was in the couch by himself and he was a baby and uh, running around, had lipstick all over his lips, been, been into everything and I was passed out in the bed and she said, I think you need to go to that place we visited, Cumberland Heights. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get her off my back. All right, I'm going. Listen, I'm going for 30 days, and I'm going to come back here, and I don't want to hear no more about but this. But you were agreeable. I, mean, I was you agreeable, were like, Let's but do I, was, it. I said, I didn't yeah. think I need a break. I get it. Okay. So, because up to then, I, I, the, going back to the thing, I said, well, we got the Opry to play next week. Right, right. Like, you right. missed the last two Opry performances. You, <laughs> all right, I'm going. What about work? I got steel work. To, you know, I had my day job I had to do, too. And uh, and she, uh, she said, you haven't even... He already knows. I mean, he's been calling me. Your boss is calling me every day. <laughs> right. Is he up? Right. So they, you've got the green light. And thank the good Lord for um, uh, the Recovery uh, Grammy Foundation. Music Cares? Music Cares. Um, Donna got me in here the first time. and um, Heck yeah. I'd love to hear that. Steve Lee. Yeah. Steve Lee's still with us. Yeah, I know. He's yeah. my grandpa. He's yeah. My okay. Sponsor. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. And uh, so I, I came limping in here, but if I'm going to be completely honest with you right now, I drove my car in here. I was sober. They, okay. they gave me my thing, and I was 0.0. Now, listen, <laughs> I'm shaking like this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, did, I blew a zero. Yeah. I drove my car in here. I parked way out there in the guest parking mm -hmm. lot so they wouldn't see me. I didn't know what cameras they had. They sure. didn't have a gate up out there yet. Yeah, so yeah. Parked way over, and I had a uh, code on my door, my Ford Taurus, so I knew I could get in. So I put my BlackBerry phone underneath my mat, and I put my <laughs> keys underneath. And I came in with my suitcase, and I just got dropped off. They said, well, we need your phone. And I said, I didn't even bring it. Lied <laughs> right through my teeth. So that tell you I was ready to get sober? Right, nah. right, right. Um, told my big stories in the first small group here in Kenny. Uh, my therapist said, are you done? Yep. Is that everything you've done? Like he was impressed. I said, but I think so. Yeah. He said, good. Leave that at the door. I said, I don't want to hear anymore. We're here to save lives, not he said, That's your that's your biggest problem. I can tell you right now, is your ego. And boy, I wanted to go home that day. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, a lot of reality checks coming yeah. here. So um yeah. stayed in the hall right next to here and met some of the most amazing people in my life. Yeah. Out of the sixteen in my cabin, at one point the closest unit, there's eight of us that are gone. Mm. Um, two of them passed away sober. Mm. The other six were some terrible funerals. Yeah. 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 Addiction takes everything. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, to become somebody who experiences addiction, it's not something we plan for. You don't grow up and think police officer, firefighter, alcoholic. Uh, we, they are a creative, resilient, strong, brave bunch. It's a, it's a little bit of a mind shift, but... Everything you have to give up 
to stay an alcoholic. You got to give up your money. You got to be resourceful. You then have to give up your time and then your relationships. And then degradation starts the abandonment of self. Then goes your dreams and your goals, your principles and your values. And you're still committed to the drink or the drug. And when that pivot happens, when that light turns on, like you talked about, for somebody to get plugged into a community and connected to a higher power, whom, whoever they choose to believe in or whatever they choose to believe in, amazing things can happen that we've seen. I mean, the stories of people's lives and how they get those turned around, it's pretty uh, just unbelievable, you know. Um, and it's cool to hear uh, how you have traversed that and who you are today. So when you left Cumberland, you didn't stay sober. No. Was it immediately after that you relapsed? About a day, about 24 okay. hours. Yeah. yeah. We were in here for family. It was during Christmas. Um, so pulling in here today is surreal. Yeah. And I, so is this look, the first time you've been back? No, I've been here several a couple times, times, but not, yeah, not yeah. in the month of December. Ah. Not when I checked in. and uh, Right. It looks real similar. Yeah. Leaves yeah, are gone. Yeah, it was eerily. Yeah, I've been in yeah. here probably... 15 times since then. Right, right. Um, working with Johnny Mack and the music program. Yeah, a few okay, times. good. And, yeah. Uh, and coming here for Sunday, I've had a lot of good friends here, so I'd come for Sunday family or lunch. Yep. Um, so, but um, none of them hit me until like today. Hmm. I've dropped a few guys off here too. Right. Um, and But uh, it was different today. It was kind of dark like it was then. And, um, I saw the playground that I played with my little boy mm. over there, and that picture comes up on the Facebook of he and I with my name tag, you know, me holding him, and that was the same day his mom told me she wanted a divorce. Mm. Uh, and um, and Johnny, I called him Papa Smurf. I can't think of his last name. Rosen. Yeah, came up. We were looking down in the gym, down to this floor from up there, and today. No, oh. 10 years, when she told me she was leaving, he came up to me and put his arm around me. He said, talk mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And I could see her down in the gym with my little boy and my mom and dad there, and I said, she's leaving me. She doesn't want me to come home. And I could not believe that that was happening to me. Um, what did he say to you? Do you remember? Yeah. He said, well, don't let that get to you. Stick this out. He said, a lot of things change. He said, imagine the emotions you're going through. Imagine the emotions, you know, the, the emotions she's going through and having to, she's having to do this from the person she loves and take a child away from a father. He said, give her, give her some the space. Try not to say anything too quick because he had already been around me enough to know I was a smart aleck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he knew that I had always, I was a short man syndrome. I, mm -hmm. I get you with the joke and I mm -hmm. got you. I don't mm -hmm. have to beat you up if I can, if I can make you look dumb. Mm-hmm. So I not already admitted all that. So he that's where he heard me admit those things, and he said, watch your tongue. Mm -hmm. Have a tempered tongue. A lot and, of wisdom right there. Shout out to Johnny Rosen. He's yeah, still here. I know. I've seen him at lunch you know, a few times. He and, is still here helping people. Just a quick story, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Last year, Christina, sometime in the past year, we were cleaning out our archive, which needed to be cleaned out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thousands of Polaroids, even these, um, what are they called? The tapes before the VHS beta cam. I didn't even know they existed. So uh, wait, what? Or beta max, beta max. Yeah. That's what they are. So we're, we, we want to digitize everything. We got pictures. 
I am not exaggerating, thousands of photographs of Johnny Rosen. Not just him, but him giving people coins. Thousands. And he's been here a few decades, several decades. Mm -hmm. He was here, obviously, when I was here. And there are so many of the stories of him um, being there, wrapping his arm around somebody and just saying, it's going to be okay, and we're here for you. So when you tell that story and I see the emotion in your eyes and it makes me a little emotional and I think about the playground and I think about not just your story but everybody's, it's just our honor you know? Yeah. It, 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 oh my gosh. I know it was painful. Yeah. And, uh, and but, a lot uh, of people don't make it, but gosh almighty, I'm glad that I'd never have the vision I have now. I mean, every time right. my son tells me he loves me, I hang on to it. Um, we survived, you know, I, uh, when she told me she was leaving me that day, um, the next day I'd planned to leave, I told you I had all my stuff in my car. Yep. I went to the lunchroom and got done, couldn't stop crying, and I was walking right through the middle section. I snuck a picture today of that, just that spot in the middle. No problem. <laughs> I was walking out, and my buddy David, my cabin mate, um, walked up and introduced himself to me and said, Hey, um, you all right? And I told him the truth. I said, I'm out of here, man. And I told him I had that stuff out there. And he said, Well, my wife's leaving me. She's divorcing me. My, my child's 14. Um... And uh, he said, if you're going, I'm going. Mm. Um, I said, no, man, don't do that to me. And he said, well, how about this? How about you give it a chance and stick around for a few more weeks? This is after Johnny gave me advice. Right. I was in my own head. Of course. I wanted to solve oh, everything. 100%. I was going to go home and get some roses for her and say, listen. Get your hands all here, over baby. it. I'm, yeah. You know? right. And he's like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and uh, so I stayed. And uh, all my buddies signed my book. I would have never had that. I would have never got sung out you know and, yeah and i earned them 30 days of yes, sobriety from here and i still have that token and and uh i've talked to david at least four to five times a week since then he just got his 10-year chip this last week no kidding another guy got his 10-year chip yesterday from when we were all here and yeah. i would have too but uh you know i'm at eight years and 10 months so um congratulations when i left out of here those next 14 months were um I'm a walking miracle, no doubt. There's yeah. no doubt I could have been one of those guys that did not make it. I uh, was in the hospital 14 times man, in 14 months. To Just my body was falling apart. My right. liver, my kidneys, my mental capacity was gone, threatened my life, even though I truly did not mean that. I was trying to get attention. I didn't have enough kahunas to do something like that. Sure, no way sure. was I going to go sure. out and, no doubt. in a mess. So Right. Um, but... Uh, what a gift, too, Yeah, those 14 months. Absolutely. I knew what it was like to lose my home. I went home to a for sale sign. She asked me to go to Sober Living. I said, absolutely not. You can leave if you like, but I pay for that house. I'm coming to it. I didn't even know how to pay the phone bill. I knew how to do nothing. But I went into an empty house. She took everything and left my pictures and my music awards up because she knew what she thought was important to me. Mm. And... Um, and uh, Sold the house quickly, and I moved into a hotel off Conference Drive in Goodlettsville and um, was there for about three months. And uh, then I got me a rental house that had popcorn ceilings in it. It was built the same year I was born in 1972, and I don't think they'd ever touched it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember going to work certain days and doing things, and I'd have the sparklies on my face after a shower because it fall down. Um, I remember... Uh, 
going to any absolute length. You talk about us being clever. I would find a way to the liquor store at the opening every morning like a shark. Mm-hmm. Had five different liquor stores, so not everybody mm-hmm. could tell the real me. Um, I had dents in all four corners of my car from running into things. Uh, it was rough. It was a rough time. Absolutely. It just outside looking in, what a gift. It takes what it takes in our journeys, you know. Uh, there's a line out of a book that I read that says, when we're beaten, we become willing. You know, and I love that one. It's, it's stuck with me, you know. It's mm-hmm. real dramatic, right? Yeah. It's one of those in early recovery that stuck with me. It's like, whoosh, there's a lot of truth to that, man. When pain gets great enough, you know, we will get willing and take action because there's a difference. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people assume that, you know, your rate of relapse correlates to your level of willingness. And I don't believe that to be true because a lot of people relapse that are real willing to be in recovery. It's just about the action that you take. Um, I'm curious after all of that um, wealth of experiences, the highs and the lows of your life, the serendipity of Brad, which I think is a beautiful part of your story mm-hmm. um, in so many, so many ways. Um, Cause there's no doubt that something was happening there with uh, who you became and the lives that you touched musically. But I want to ask you about recovery and I want to know about what you alluded to patience and ego, which I think are powerful stories to tell. What else comes to mind, Jamie, when you think about your recovery journey over these last eight years and some change, you know, what's changed in you and the the fabric of your character? Um, I'm much more honest. Mm. Um, I still get scared and stretch the truth sometimes, um, but I've got that tenth step I can go back to. And thank you for saying that, by the way. That's yeah. the truth. We yeah. all, we all. I do. Yeah. Um, I say it in the meetings all the time, and even after the meetings, some of my buddies are like, "Well, what, are you bull crapping me or what is it?" And I'm like, "Listen, man, I'm not always." But, yeah. But uh, yeah, if I tell you how big my fish is, you might not want to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> That little man syndrome comes out all the time. Yeah, yeah. I jumped about, I had about a 48-inch vertical leap. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, um, it's just made me more honest. It's made me more straight up asking Susie Q, my wife, for help. Yeah. Um, so y'all are still together. Yeah, man. I what a warrior to, she is. Shout out to she, Susie Q, man. She uh, she wrote me this song called Try Me that she never came from this. She thought the song would save me. She was doing anything she could. This was all before Speak she left me. to you in me. your language, yeah. It was before I ever came in the doors here, she wrote it. Wow. Oh, try me. Um, I'll make you feel better than you ever will, like medicine in your veins, the kind that uh, heals, takes away all the pain. Uh, and I'm the only dose you'll ever need, so try me. Mm. Um, and I do that every recovery I go to now. Um, I sing it to him, so I said, in your recovery, this is for your loved ones that love you. That would, if they could write a song and save you, this is what they would sing to you. But um, we know that it's our job to do what we've got to do. Um, but it's built, I'm just a better character. Um, I don't hang up my rewards anymore in my house. Um, she did. And if she didn't, I would never say a word about it. Now, I'll tell you what goes up on my fridge, like the old, a lot of the folks from the from back home in Indiana, and play, certain places the Certain populations will put every picture they can imagine on their fridge and magnets. <laughs> um, I put mine. I got all my sobriety mm. tokens on there. That's the ones that mean mm-hmm. something to me because mm-hmm. without them, I am nothing. Mm. Every employer I go to, um, 
I'm a little older now, so I, I work a steel job. Um, I do my recovery. Weekends, I travel the country, Boston to Florida, to everywhere I work treatment centers, sharing my story, writing a song with the patients, clients, um, people just like me, giving them hope. Um, and it's a blast. And we do karaoke before I leave. I take my little speaker with me. Um, and through the week, I get up and I go sell steel like I used to. Mm. And I love it. I um, I love it. And um, it's made me just more responsible, more successful than I've been. Um, and, uh, and on top of that, um, I got to make amends with all the Graskels. I left the Graskels. That was my big change. They say change things. When I went in the recovery in twelve or March of 2015 to Texas, um, um, I wanted to come here, mm-hmm. but Steve Lee said, "Too familiar for you now. Mm-hmm. You need to show me you're wanting this." And 100%. they don't have a bed. <laughs> you, you, if you're willing to get to the liquor store, ever you if you really want sure. this, then you're going. Sure. He said, "Just do me a favor and don't waste that bed, man. Mm. If you don't want it right now, it's okay. I, I still love you, but please don't." Right. Don't waste somebody else's sobriety if, if you're not going to do this. Right. And so I did what he said, shut my little mouth, and um, didn't take my guitar out there, none of my stories. Two weeks into it, Susie Q called me. I was supposed to come home in April, and divorce would be final two days later. And she called me two weeks in and said, hey, I didn't know she knew where I was at. She knew I was at another treatment center because I checked into several, <laughs> never stayed, um, except here and there. And uh, she uh, said, I was thinking maybe we've had a lot of really good years. And I was thinking maybe if you thought you would want to when you get home, we could work on us instead of. Wow. And, uh, of course, I said, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, wow. Not, I know not everybody gets to come home to a family because at first time it didn't happen for me. I lost them. And I got them back. And uh, Cole was six years old. He's now six foot one and 15 and bigger than me. And, uh I wore out four recliners with him, watching some terrible cartoons. But I'll never forget the days I got I got to leave the Graskels. They let me go uh, to be healthy, and um, I got to be a common man for eight years and just go to meetings and go to work, earn a family, dig myself out of bankruptcy. My family lived in that little old house for seven years, and now we live in a big, beautiful cabin in Cottontown, Tennessee, and five acres of land. Celebrating 24 years of marriage in March. Wow, um, congratulations. And uh, I, they're looking forward to me coming home tonight. So. Right, no doubt. And correct me if I'm wrong, you've um, reunited with the Graskels. Yeah. They, yeah, a year ago right now, we, they asked me to fill in on the Opry. And so I took Cole and Suzanne, wow. the first time Cole had been back since he'd been little. Right. And uh, he had grown up thinking everybody knew him, like, Right. Yeah, you know, what's Vince Gill doing tonight? Because he got pictures of all the walls of him with him, and the, and he got experience again. So uh, now he's going to remember it really well. And uh, they saw the smile on my face out there. And when I came off, and we got talking the next morning, eating breakfast, and then Cole said, "Well, why don't you? They keep asking you to come back. Why don't you go back?" Because I kept telling them no. Huh? Um, I told Dolly no on one small tour she was doing. I, I why is that? Didn't think I was ready. I was so. I, I don't know because what was embedded in my head was not only my illness going on, my mental things going on, yeah, yeah. the depression of even being in another fancy bus because to me they weren't fancy. They were just a bunch of people stuffed into a, mm-hmm. a trailer going mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. And 
that got lonely for me. Mm. I had zero desire to stand on a stage or any of that part. Wow. And time took time. I was loving the recovery thing, doing it every weekend, traveling, doing well doing that. And I loved spreading recovery. And I didn't have to take care of six people. Right. I only had to take care of me. Right. And um, and I was home all the time. I got to help raise my boy. Um, did I make a lot of mistakes in that? Probably so because of course. dad came home. We were more like buddies. And I want to just win him over because I'm home and I almost lost all this. So sure, you can get up at night and have an Oreo cookie. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I did things wrong. But I wore out them four chairs. Yeah. Because he wanted to be on my lap. Yeah. And um, so what was, it, what was it like, you think, for them going to you, going with you to see you perform back again with the Graskels? Magic for all of us. I wasn't yeah. looking to go back. I, 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 I got I patient and wasn't looking for anything anymore. Mm. Because I was content. I was happy with what I had, mm. and I wasn't asking God for more and more and more. Yeah. I was getting up saying thanks. Yeah, yeah. This is amazing life. And uh, and even through financial things, I still got problems. I lost my dad. Yeah. Passed away. Had life bad happens. Days, yeah. But I was handling it without drinking, so I was just getting through things better. And um, they told me the next day, Cole says, why don't you finish what you started? Go back. Wow. And I was like, so I finally said yes, and... Man, we're midway through the album. Um, had a very good year. They agreed not to be as busy as we used to be. Uh, there's, you know, we're not the young bucks on the thing. There's no nothing to prove except to make the music we started to make and have fun, be creative again, like we were just getting started. And uh, it has had the reverse effect. Um, it's coming up on our 20th anniversary of being the Graskels, 2014. Um Gigs are coming in. We're getting a turn down gigs because we all agreed this is for fun. Yeah. Um, we're not going to travel the roads like crazy. Yeah. And uh, and I still got to do my recovery. So I told them this is what's important to me. Like the steel job, when I sit down for the interview, I'm an alcoholic. And if I don't go to my meeting every day or as many days as I can possibly physically get there, I'm not going to be worth one red cent to you we'll all regret this move. Yeah. And I understand if you don't want to hire me because of that. Yeah. 100%. And they hire me every time. And the Graskels took me back because they, they saw what alcohol and depression and mental illness and untreated, they saw what it does. Let me ask you a different question. Sure. What has recovery brought to your music now? <laughs> Confidence, man. Hmm. I can sing in church. Has it affected your creativity? Has it affected? Um, yeah, but I go back and some of the favorite songs people like of mine don't even make sense to me. I'm like, what <laughs> the hell was I thinking? Yeah. But they had cool little vibes to them, and I had a right. non—I non, didn't care. So um, maybe I'm a little more conservative. I don't know. Mm. But as far as on stage, I don't think I've ever sang better. Mm. Um, I've never had more compliments on that side of it. Um, uh I'm more honest on stage. I never get up there and preach, but I always do my recovery song, and I always tell them where I've been and why. Yeah, I've, I've been gone That's for awesome. eight years for a reason. That and, is awesome. and there's some of you that probably cringe for me saying this, but there's somebody out there that might walk up to me after we get done and uh, say, I need help. That's what it's about. We're all having this shared experience. We all go through life. We all have pain. I mean, life is a painful experience. You know, mm -hmm. we deal with loss and change and expectations and... 
any opportunity we have to connect people and make it okay mm-hmm. for somebody like you, um, the work that you've done, the opportunities you've had to say, me too. Yeah. And that's okay. And if you're struggling with that, maybe a piece of that storytelling is a different type of meeting for you. Yeah. Different type of service, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I can go ahead and guarantee that wherever you're playing, there's somebody that is struggling, oh. you know, and they yeah. probably feel in that moment that or the spotlight's child, on child. them. Yeah. Where oh, can, yeah. That's a whole I, different. Where can I, mm. where can I get them? I, well, you know, right. There, there's a, there is a, you know, of course, we're not going to answer the question here right now, but there, there's an answer. Yeah. There is a way out. And, um. Well, I would like to say a special shout out specifically to Music Cares. Yes, me too. For musicians. Too. Thank you so much. Because uh, it's a really uh, unique program for folks that work in the industry that help them, not just behavioral health, but medical needs as well to get them the care that they so desperately need. And we've been a partner with Music Cares for a long time, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just our pleasure yeah. you know, to be one of their partners in Tennessee and uh, to touch as many lives as possible. So. That's that's cool that you that you had that experience in music cares for sure. Yeah, um, go to their website if you're a musician. Absolutely, it's it's an amazing program, mm-hmm. and I've seen it help several of my good friends more than you would. Ass- I'm not going to name names, right. obviously, or anything, but a lot of people are touched by addiction. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh my gosh. Obviously, but you know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I truly feel that the one thing that is is stronger. And goes through the vessels of our veins to everybody we love that we come in contact with, whether it be family or coworkers. That's as strong as addiction is recovery. It is just as strong and just as obvious, because addiction is obvious the second I step out of my car. The judge gave Suzanne a breathalyzer for me when we were split up. She's like, I don't need that breathalyzer. Yeah. He's either not showing up, or when he does, I'll know the second he gets out. Yeah. Um, vice versa. Everybody where I walk in now, even if I'm overweight 10 pounds or something, I'm like, man, you look great. They know the second I get out, the people that truly know me and love me know the second I get out how strong this recovery thing is. Um, and it and it radiates through my boy, through my wife, through her mom, who's not worried about their daughter now and her daddy, my family, all the way to the coworkers and the ones who are trusting me to go out and represent a company perhaps uh, or a festival to show up and not stay on the bus. Mm-hmm. and not show up mm-hmm. it radiates it's awesome well i want to thank you thank you for your time yeah. thank you for sharing your story and being so uh i really mean this from the middle of my heart vulnerable and transparent because you didn't have to do that jamie yeah i wouldn't have pushed you <laughs> <laughs> um but i appreciate that and, and i want you to know it matters and thanks for everything you've done for our little organization here in middle tennessee you know we um we're trying to help as many people as we can, you yeah. know, that have shared experiences to us. I want you to say, say hello to your boy and Susie Q. I wish you would have brought her, actually, because she's an MVP. She, she would have loved it. Uh, Next time. Yes. Next time I'd really love lot. for her to come. Yeah. She was at work today and couldn't couldn't scoot out. I understand that. But um, what I want to do now is actually I bet Johnny Rosen is here. <laughs> I'd like to go find him if he's probably around the corner. So just anyways, thanks a lot, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you. It means a lot to us and your support and anything we can do for you in the future, just let us know. Absolutely. All right. Thank you.